Hi, it's Jeffrey Ford. I'm the editor of Avengers Endgame, and you're listening to Spoiler Country. Hey, hey, people of Earth, it's time to enter the Spoilerverse via our secret portal at the exclusive Arctic Club in beautiful downtown Seattle with our hosts, John and Kenrick. Welcome to Spoiler Country. Hey, if you're listening to our show for the first time and you're on one of the social medias that we're on, like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, any of those kinds of things, you should always check us out on Spoilerverse.com. But... If you want to keep up with our latest episodes, you should bring out your smartphone, get into your favorite podcaster, find Spoiler Country, and hit subscribe. Then you'll get all our new stuff. And if you want to reach out to us, you can do that in two ways. You can call us or leave us a voicemail at 707-656-2080. Again, 707-656-2080. Or you can shoot us an email at spoilercountry at gmail.com. Avengers, assemble! And welcome back to Spoiler Country. I am Johnny Horsley, and today on the show, we've got the editor of the movies such as Captain America vs. Avenger, The Avengers, Iron Man 3, Winter Soldier, Age of Ultron, Civil War, Infinity War, Endgame. And if you go back even further, he was the editor on One Hour Photo and Shattered Glass and Street Kings and Public Enemies and Bloodworth and so much more. We got Jeff Ford. He came on and talked to Karen about his career editing with these amazing movies and you know we love those mcu movies here and we got him and it's kind of a big deal guys i mean you know how much i mean how many episodes on our on our podcast do we have talking about movies that he was a part of so without wasting any more of your precious time because i know you want to get in there and do this and listen to this so here we are without further ado jeff ford in his own words guys welcome back and today on the show it's going to be super fun because i don't know maybe you're the one or two people that saw avengers endgame in the movie theater maybe you know the family stone with sarah jessica parker i don't know you you might i do i actually love that movie maybe you're a big fan of the avengers and age of ultron and and civil war i don't know maybe not but if you are then we're going to talk with the editor jeff ford right now today jeff thanks for coming on Hey, happy to be here. So, man, you have been editing for quite a while now. And if I just go by what is online, I believe The Yards with with the director James Gray was your first major movie? That's right. Yep. For Miramax. Back yeah. in, uh, back, we started that in 1998. And James and I went to film school together. So we've been friends forever. And that's how I got on that picture. So he, he, I really owe him my career. He got me started. And he's a great man and great director. I'm a big fan of him. You've worked with some major directors. I mean, just off the, the, the cusp. Billy Ray, David Ayer, Michael Mann, Joe Johnston, Joss Whedon, Shane Black. I mean, the list, go, the Russo brothers, the list goes on and on. What's a, I mean, do you just like drive into work and go, I can't believe I'm doing this for a living? Pretty much. I mean, I, <laughs> I've wanted to do this since I was a little kid. I mean, I started making Super 8 movies when I was, you know, in fourth or fifth grade. I grew up in, I went to high school in Portland, Oregon, actually. And oh. I, I was down there, you know, I was making movies on Super 8 
Spider-Man movies when I was, you know, in fifth grade with my friends. Right. We had a Spider-Man costume and we'd come up with these stories and we'd do cheesy special effects. And, you know, it was ridiculous. But I feel like I kind of have been doing the same thing since I was then. You know, I, I feel like, you know, when the day we did, you know, the first day Tom Holland was on the set on Civil War and I was we were shooting Spidey, I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. I, I haven't changed. And it's been, you know, uh, since I was in fourth grade. So it's a dream come true. I'm really lucky that I met the people that I did and found the the career that I have because I really love doing it. But yeah, getting to do that getting to, to work in the Marvel Cinematic Universe was, I, ne I didn't expect it was going to happen. I didn't plan for it to happen. Right. And it, I got, you know, just, it just, it, it's been really awesome. Were you a big comic book fan growing yeah. up? Yeah. Oh yeah. I was a big fan and I, I collected quite a bit and right. I was more of a DC guy only in that when I collected both Marvel and DC, but I was really into the uh, Denny O'Neill Adams Batman run in the, yeah. the mid-70s, the Razak Wolf thing, and, and all that stuff. I loved that stuff. I loved, you know, I, I was a big Superman fan, and, and I kind of got into filmmaking because I was so into the 1978 Superman by Richard Donner. And I think I was a comic book nut and reading a ton of comic books, but then that movie came out. Of course, I had to see it to see yep. how they deal with that character. And I, it blew my mind because it was so beautifully made. It was so real, and, and it was so – there was no – it was dealt with, the character was handled with respect and it blew my mind. And I was like, oh my God, I, I, movies are as vivid and amazing as comic books. And I really got into science fiction and fantasy movies at that point. And then years later, I got a chance to work with Richard Donner on another movie when I was an assistant. I couldn't believe it, it was like, I, I, you know, I told him, I'm like, dude, you don't understand. I, I'm here because I went to see your movie in 1978 and I have been a big fan since. And, and I, you know, I thanked him for everything because he really is the grandfather or the, the godfather of modern Superhero sure, movies. Do it. Yeah, I mean, Feige and I talk about it all the time. That's the movie that lit the fuse and said, "Oh my God, that's how you do it. You do yeah, not you know, take it. You take it straight up." And and you, and you and if you look at that movie, look at that cast: Marlon Brando, Gene Hackman, you know, Ned Beatty, Christopher Reeve, incredible actor, uh, Margot Kidder, all those people. Great cast. Like that wasn't a slumming cast. It wasn't yep. cheese ball. They went full yeah. on and they got great performances and. And Donner's just, you know, awesome at bringing stuff to life. So anyway, that's how I got, that's how I got lit up. Yeah, Donner was so, the, Superman was so good. I think that came out in 77? Uh, Christmas 78. 78. So yeah. I saw it in the theater. I was four. <laughs> and then I remember, but I, re, so I don't remember, I remember going and I, re, I remember flashes of it. You know what I mean? With yeah, the yeah, family yeah. going and all that kind of stuff. And I remember Superman 2 coming out and we and i remember me and my brother because we only lived like a half a mile away from the redwood cinemas in bremerton washington and we <laughs> walked down to the plaza and it was just a strip mall and it was right. just you know it's a tiny theater now right there's only like three or four screens in it and they're all not very good but i love it right i wouldn't trade those memories but i remember waiting to go see superman 2 in the line going all the way out the theater down the brick wall to yep. the rock wall yep. in the back theater parking lot and all the way down to the pizza hut. And I know that means nothing to you, but it's about, no, it, no it totally does. I, I mean, I was in, I, you know, I grew up in Troutdale, Oregon, which is, you know, on the East side of Portland. Uh, yeah. And it's basically the same thing. It's like you had to get there at 6am to get a spot in line for these summer releases. If you wanted to see them on opening day. Yeah. And, and it was like, you had to skip school that day to be in line. You could not get an advanced ticket deal. That was not the way it worked back then. That, those we did that for me are so good for superhero movies that yeah. when I watched the man of steel, I was upset. Not because I thought Henry Cavill was a great Superman. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But I was like, why you read that? You basically recreated Superman two with the man of steel, you know? Yeah. I, I think the thing that Superman Art. did that Donner did that was unique. 
and and I think the Marvel Cinematic Universe does it really well, is there's somehow it's connected to contemporary culture. In other words, yeah. it's really kind of vibing on what we're ang- anxious about. And Donner did it in 78 because you were dealing with, you know, we'd just been through the 60s and the 70s. The country was kind of in a – it was in a new space. Old ideas were were different. It, it seemed, you know, kind of like they were receding. The 50s were kind of receding. And Superman came in and said, look, I got – Here's some ideals. Here's some things that we think about, but morality and and duty and honor and, and, you know, moral choices and things that you do when you do the right thing. And those ideas were kind of like the, I think the country was looking for that stuff and looking to to have a, a way to express that. And I think Marvel, the Marvel movies were really a bit of an echo of the country's you know, reaction to 9-11 and what happened to us. And we all felt kind of, there was this sense of fear and there was a sense of, you know, that these sort of supervillain plots were now kind of coming to life. And I think the way they dealt with it straight up, just look at Iron Man 1, it's so dealing with the echoes of what happened in 9-11. I really think they they tapped into that contemporary cultural zeitgeist in a way that, you know, same way the Donner did, not an accident. I think it's about just being, you know, receptive to what what's going on around you. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I like when I think of the Marvel movies, the one things that I notice, I don't know, a lot of people talk about they, they can feel formulaic, but I'm like, I don't know, man, from director, there's a definite different feel to what you're watching. Oh, for sure. You know, when you did, when you worked on the first Avenger, what was your guys' feelings going into that movie? Because that, because Cap, they've tried to do Captain America a couple of times and I just felt like it, they always fell in the flat on their face. Like right. it just, not to take any away from the people that worked on that stuff, because I don't think anybody walks into it saying, I want to make a crappy Captain America movie. I think everybody tries their hardest. Right. But I felt like that movie and Chris Evans really just, you guys captured the essence of who Captain America was and made me, like, I was never a Captain America fan. Like, I, right. didn't, I was never into the comic books. I've read the comic books. I was like, ah, he's just so much of a Boy Scout. Wasn't really into it. That movie made me a fan. Well, I mean, that's, I have to give most of the credit to that, to Evans, because he really thought deeply about that character and he knew how to yeah. express it. And he, he worked really hard over the arc of that character over the years. And I know he, it, mean, it meant a lot to him to be somebody, you know, to, to have an, a, a fresh but legit interpretation of it. And Joe Johnston was also huge in setting the tone. And I think it was, you know, it was a, the movie was a little bit more, you know, it was, it was a little more winky and self-referential and, and almost it was a little more comic booky when I started working on it than it ended up being, I think. And then certainly Cap's arc with the Russos evolved into something that was very interesting. He went from this guy who was sort of the straight up company man. And then all of a sudden he becomes, you know, he becomes sort of, he switches to like a counterculture in sort of a way when shield falls in, in winter soldier. And then by the end, he's, you know, he's gone rogue and he's having to, he's having to take the other side. And I think that arc that Chris played, you know, of a guy who was a true believer that, found out that, you know, maybe asking some questions about who you're serving and how you represent that is a good thing, but maintains that moral center. That's a really interesting arc for a character. And I think he did beautifully over all those films. But I said, First Avenger was interesting because it was, you know, it was, there's a little bit of a, we were, you know, we're kind of going for a Raiders of the Lost Ark kind of vibe with it. But in the same way that Raiders is this sort of crazy movie serial fantasy adventure movie, it still has this incredibly grounded main character who has a real moral center and, and a lot of, you know, he's really facing up against, you know, an existential threat for for the whole country with the Nazis. And so we wanted Cap to be in that same space that, you know, Harrison Ford was in. It's just that you're dealing with this kind of crazy over the top 
fantasy adventure, but at your core, you're dealing really with some basic relatable human, you know, uh, questions. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. When you're working on those movies, did you harken back to some of your comic book reading days and feel like, how do I set this tone? Because I know that I want to feel I want to feel this when I'm seeing this. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? Yes, I think. I mean, one of the things that I I probably was more it was more about remembering films than comic books, only because the Marvel movies are so. They're highly influenced by obviously the comic book runs, but yeah. they're also incredibly influenced by the films of Lucas and Spielberg from the 70s and 80s. And, and, you know, that whole basically, you know, everything that was released from like 77 to 83, you know, <laughs> and yeah. we talk about those movies all day long there. And so and we all grew up on them. And and I, it's not so much about imitating them as it is appreciating how they were crafted to create these incredible, you know, this incredible reality that rang true for so many people in the audience and how those directors like Spielberg and Lucas, but also like John Carpenter and people like that really handled, you know, those characters that were almost fantasy, science fiction, comic book characters. So I think I probably leaned more on my experience as a film enthusiast than, than a comic book reader. Although I will say that the notion of comic books being a continuing evolving narrative that would jump between titles and, and go rangy for a whole year. And you'd have to read, you know, 12 issues or something to find out. Like I remember flashed at a run of who killed Iris Allen and it went on for like a year. And then at the end you found out, you know, that professor zoom spoiler killed her. And like, I remember reading that for, for a year going, Oh my God, who killed her? And it was, you know, like twin peaks or something where there was a mystery that, that got you through this narrative. And for the Marvel movies, we did a lot of that technique, which is there's this mystery. It's being slowly doled out over the course of all these movies. We kind of know where we're going to go. And all of a sudden when you get there, the satisfaction is really intense. That was the, that was the storytelling technique that we borrowed from comic books. I love it. I love it. So in one of your interviews that I did some research on, and I think it was with, is it Avid or Avid? The Oh, Avid, yeah. Avid, yeah. And you talked about you're on, you're, you're part of pre-production, as an editor, you're part of pre-production, script writing, being on right. the set, visual effects, managing the sound crew, you know, and you really emphasize motion picture sound. And I'm kind of hoping, because I love movies. I mean, I absolutely, it's my favorite medium. Of everything, you know, I never had the guts to get to jump in like like obviously you did, and I don't think I have the passion like you did when it came because like I, I wasn't bringing out a Super Eight and trying to make films when I'm eight nine years old. You know what I mean? Right. I, I'm appreciating them and I love reading scripts and all that kind of stuff. But when I'm able to get somebody like you on, I always like to see what is your day to day process and how do you feel about not feel, but how do you walk through a sequence? Like, I understand you have a macro sequence of events happening, and sometimes it's easy to, to, to get down to the micro, but you can't forget the macro. And I'm kind of hoping you can kind of steer us through a day to day of Jeffrey Ford editing any movie. Oh, well, I mean, it's different depending on what stage of the process you're in. I mean, movies are basically, they get, it, it, nowadays, modern films are made in a little bit different way than they were originally made, but they can still pretty much be broken down into three processes, which is pre-production and post. And pre-production is your planning phase where you write the script, you do storyboards, you do pre-vis, you lay it all out, you just, you get the big picture laid out so you know where you're going and you have a map and you have a guide and you can then, you can break that thing down into little bite-sized pieces, break it up, schedule it, figure out when you're going to shoot stuff out of order because you know 
know the whole story ahead of time. And that pre-production process is critical. Once you, if you plan well, you can do great with a movie. And if you planning is really a huge part of, of a successful film. And that includes casting, which is literally the most important thing. I mean, I think you can have a great script and it can suck if you don't cast it right. And you can have a, sh- a shitty script and get and get a cast in there that makes it sing. So casting, writing, those things happen in pre-production. Then production takes place where you go out and you shoot the material that's going to make up the movie. That process is crazy. You don't have time to think. You have so much to get through in each day. And that's when you're dealing with the actors. You're telling the story with acting and and camera angles and cinematography. All of that, if you've planned it right, production goes well. And while we're shooting, we're editing at the same time. Everybody uh, always is surprised when I tell them that. But basically, you know, whatever we shoot on Monday, I look at on Tuesday and edit on Wednesday. So by the end of the day, Wednesday, whatever we shot on Monday was was cut together. Is that the it's digital a, aspect of everything nowadays? It is, but it's also it's been that way for a long time. I mean, even film days we, when I started, we were working on film, and it was still the same way. You maybe not didn't get it put together quite as quickly with as much polished sound and picture, but. You wanted to get that scene cut together because if you still have that cast and you have a problem, you can go back out and get some more if you need it. So cu- cutting along with cameras, they call it, is really critical to make sure that you help the director kind of, you know, if they want to watch it. Some directors don't want to look at stuff during production, but most of them do. And so I cut right along with camera. Our team kind of works along with camera to get stuff cut. We talk to them about what we think we need. We talk about it collaboratively and figure out what else we want to shoot. Sometimes the story doesn't make sense. We ask for clarification. When you're shooting on a, a longer schedule, you can go back and, and, and knock some of that stuff out if you have yeah. the cast. You know, there's easy ways to do it. And then once the movie's shot, you've got an assembly, but the movie's not really ready to look at it. You have an assembly. Usually that assembly is not that great. You watch it and you go, oh, my God, what am I going to do? Because <laughs> you haven't engaged all the great storytelling techniques that you can add when you're cutting in post. That's, you know, right. music like and sound. Yeah. Effect. Visual effects, all that stuff is still in rough form. So the movie evolves slowly over the course of, you know, for an Avengers movie, it takes about a year and and maybe a year and and three months. For Iron Man 3, it was less than a year. I mean, some of these movies, basically the Marvel movies take about a year from production to post. Pre-production, it takes place the year prior. But once you go into production, it's about a year from the first day of shooting to the delivery. So (laughs) that's really interesting because I, when you hear pre-production, post, you know, and all that stuff, it's it gets confusing for somebody who doesn't know anything when they're when you're reading an interview or when you're reading what's going on in the movie and you want to know oh how where are they at what's right. going on because you get excited especially these types of, the types of movies that you've been working on lately that you know the fan base is rapid you know sure. what I mean they get yeah. super excited they want to know what's going on and it's interesting to go through that amount of stuff I, I totally want to geek out on you because I want to know how do you cut it from the camera taking the video to it's got to go up into some type of cloud that allows you to go to your workstation and pull that back down and then no. have it ready. And then are no, you we don't do, oh, no, no, there's, there's no internet involved. Right. Well, it's um, all internet early on because we're, we're always afraid of hacks. So yeah. everything's pretty much done with, you know, drives and stuff. We'd actually, none of our systems are connected to the internet. We obviously transfer data sometimes, but it's interesting because it's, the stuff is shot. It's shot, you know, say we say we shoot on Monday, yeah. whatever's done at the end of the day. And I'm on, I could be on set. I can look at the video playback. Everybody's looking at that. And then that goes that night, Monday night, it goes to a, a colorist who balances the color out for the day, sort of make sure everything's technically set. The sound gets added to the picture. It gets digitized into the Avid overnight. Then my assistants break it down on Tuesday morning, split it up into scenes, organize it for me, put it together in a way that I can get through the material quickly. And then Tuesday afternoon, I, I start watching watching what was shot on Monday and and breaking it down and making decisions. And that process just repeats itself every day until we're done. Now, remember, sometimes we have on Avengers, 
Endgame and Infinity War, we had sometimes four units going on any given day. So sometimes the stunt unit was shooting, there was a mocap unit shooting, there was a, a splinter so unit shooting, and main unit. So oh, God. it was crazy. It was nuts. That's crazy. Yeah, hey, we had months talk- of film to go through. You talked about motion picture sound being probably just about the most important thing and that editors need to really, especially new editors, need to understand motion picture sound. Yeah. And that they should be concentrating on it. Why is that so important and how does that affect a film? Well, I mean, sound is really important because mo- editing is really about rhythm. It's about music. It's basically, your, you know, the thing that keeps you hypnotized when you're watching a movie is the same thing that keeps you hypnotized when you're dancing or listening to a piece of music and you lose yourself in it. It's rhythm. And yeah. so if you can – and rhythm is visual, but it's also – Obviously, auditory has a huge impact, and there's a rhythm that interacts. Picture and sound interacts in a rhythm. And if you can learn to control, that's how you create those magical moments. And you can look at, you know, the Avengers movies. There's, you know, everybody remembers the moment they stood up and cheered because that theme started playing, you know, that Alan Silvestri theme. And it's because we've led you up to a point where you're ready for it and you're expecting it. And then when it breaks, you feel that that cathartic moment that it comes out. Yeah. It's all about balancing that with rhythm and and the lack of music. And then presenting the music, it's either a loud sound effect in rhythm in a fight makes you feel the hit. All those things are techniques that you can learn to manipulate. And I think just sound has has an unbelievable impact. And I really right now am mourning the loss of being able to go to the movies because of COVID. Because one of the things I love about movie theaters is you get an incredible sound experience that just overwhelms you and you feel so immersed. And when people talk about the excitement of going to a movie, a lot of times it's because – you know, when you're watching something at home, you know, the dog's barking and you're trying to do dishes and somebody's, you know, you can't focus and you can't go into that dream world of being in a movie. And that's why I love sound. It allows me to immerse myself in the picture. And, you know, remember, too, the actors are acting. Well, most of their performance, you know, obviously they do incredible visual performances, but those lines of dialogue and the, 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 the nuance and the things that they say that all comes through the soundtrack. Yeah, it's, you know, it's funny because you're talking about the, the when the crowd like you go to a theater and you hear the crowd actually literally cheer in the theater. And I saw in oh, yeah. oh the theater, right? Yeah. And the first time was opening night because yeah. you had to see it. And it was, and the, the, there's two scenes that really got everybody and they're all, and they're almost back to back. And the ones that where the whole place erupted is when Captain America picks up. Oh yeah. Here, everybody freaks out. And then when you hear uh, Falcon say on your left, everybody freaked out. Yep. And I remember on the third time I saw it, you could tell the whole crowd had already seen it, but you could feel the buildup for that scene. And everybody freaked out even more the, 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 the time when I saw it, when I know everybody in the theater had already seen it in the theater. <laughs> and I think it's, it comes from like it, what you were just saying. It is. And I mean, you know, that sequence took a long time to tune to get it just right. And we tested it yeah. and tried it out and got different ways and different reactions. And it was very delicate and it ended up coming together because of Alan's incredible cue, but also the way that we, you know, balanced it out before that. And I remember we went to see that movie in LA the night it opened. It was Kevin Feige and the Russo brothers and the uh, Marcus McFeely, the writers and Trin Tran, our producer and me and a bunch of other people on a, you know, we all went down to Westwood in LA and we went to the, we had a little, you know, a few seats carved out. Alan Silvestri was this too, actually. And we were in the back of the theater and we, yeah. it was, you know, it was near UCLA and it was like a good crowd on the opening night. 
And that that there was no roof on that theater, man. They were going nuts at every single hit. And I was like, and we all walked out of there going, okay, there is never going to be anything like this in our lives. That that the feeling of being so connected with those people was so awesome. And we felt so proud of being able to give them that experience. Because, you know, this is the thing, you know, it was funny because people say, What, you know, are superhero movies cinema? And I say, well, Cinema is really at its core about going to the movies together and having that communal experience and that emotional connection. And, you know, you can some people hate them. Some people love them. That's all good. Everybody can have their opinion. And I get as excited as the next guy seeing a drama. I mean, I love movies in general, but the communal experience, the idea of being an audience, that's that's when you're an audience member, that's a unique job you have. And your job is to be with your people and you experience something together that nobody else is in that room with you guys. That, that like that's the moment. And I that's why I love movies. And I, I really hope people remember when they can go they can go again. That's out there for them. Cause it's not the same watching at home or on your phone. It isn't. No, it's not at all. I love going I love the experience of going to the movie. I've always been Let's go to the movies. Like, <laughs> what's going on? Let's go to the movies. <laughs> right. I remember watching Arachnophobia in the movies. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I saw, and that was a big, that sure. was, I saw that opening night, and I remember everybody, like, everybody from my school was there, and right. seeing the girls jump, and it was just like, oh, my God, I love this, you know. I fell in love, though, seeing Superman 2, and I, I remember me and my brother went and saw E.T., and then we snuck across and, and snuck into uh, Clash of the Titans. Right. Our mom was super religious, and she didn't want us to see Clash of the Titans. Oh, right. That had some some uh, naughty parts. Yeah, it had some naughty parts in it, and she just, <laughs> you know. But it was a lot of fun, let me tell you. <laughs> it's a good movie. I like that movie. When you're, uh, yeah, I love the old movies, man. I just got done, so we're having Kelly Johnson on, and he's a big artist, right? And he's done, he's kind of done the definitive Batman in the 90s, where right. his art, art, his artist ability is ridiculous and but he loves doing horror and in the 80s in the late 80s he won an eisner award for his run on on dead man and so i was so i had him on and we were talking and him and i started talking we ended up chatting for like three hours because we just went off and i was like hey want you want to come back on and we'll talk about horror movies and we're talking about the classic horror movies though of the universal horror movies so the last couple of weeks i've been i've watched Dracula, Daughter of Dracula, Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein, Ghost of Frankenstein, and The Wolfman so far. And then I still have The the Black Lagoon. And I love those old movies. The Frankenstein ones are stupendous. They're they're amazing. The James Whale ones. Yeah, they're incredible. Oh, my God. It's, they're amazing. And I, I've shown my kids those too. It's like, it, they're so good. They're, they have they're such so, great tone. The Frankenstein ones, yeah, specifically those first two are so good. And I laugh so hard because... In, Bride of Frankenstein is such in our culture and society and in our, our psyche as a whole. I thought I saw it. Right. You know what I mean? Because I've yeah, seen it's just, an it, image it's of, yeah. And I, but I started watching it. I'm like, I've never seen this. I've yeah. never actually sat and watched this. The 1933 King Kong is pretty awesome, too, actually. That's yeah. a really great one, too. Yeah, that's that's not, like really influential to a lot of pictures. Oh, it's so good. But the fact that the bride is only in it for like the last five minutes of the movie, you know, but it's so good. But I was laughing because all I could think of is while watching it was young Frankenstein by Mel Brooks. Sure. And how much of young Frankenstein, how much of that movie actually had the stuff from Frank Wales. Right. I was like, like the sheriff. I didn't know that was an actual character from the Frankenstein movies. Oh yeah. It's really meticulously recreated in that. It's pretty amazing. (laughs) 
Is there any movies that you've worked on that people really should know about that you feel like, well, it didn't get the play. It should have got it. Well, I mean, I, you know, they're all like, you know, I feel really proud of a lot of the work that I've done. I've got been very lucky to work with great filmmakers. I mean, you know, the movie I did with James Gray called the yards, the Mark Wahlberg and Joaquin Phoenix and Charlize Theron was, we made that in 98, 99, 2000. It came out. It was a, uh, it's a really incredible movie a shot by Harris Avitas is one of the great cinematographers who's no longer with us. But that movie I think is one I'm extremely proud of. And I, I also, and I don't think a lot of people saw it, you know, it didn't get much of a release. And the other one that came kind of popped back up again recently is a, and I watched a little bit of it. It was cause it's making the round on Netflix is, is public enemies that I movie I did with Michael Mann. And I, I really, I think that movie also got a little bit of a short shrift. It's, there's some really amazing filmmaking in that movie that Michael did. And that uh, was really a, a exciting project to work on. I think there's some amazing stuff in that movie, really some beautiful camera work tonalities, but also some great writing and some incredible performances in it by, by Depp and, and Marianne Cotillard and then Bale, who's just crazy good in it. <laughs> Bale's good in everything. It's kind He's of good in everything. That's crazy. So what, so how much of the interaction with the actors do you have? Depends. I mean, you know, I've done, I've known Nevins for a long time because we did a movie called Street Kings together with Keanu Reeves before the Marvel world. But since I've been cutting all the Cap movies and Avengers movies, I feel like I, you know, I know him pretty well. And when you work with people over the years, you kind of, you know, that you get to know them a little bit. There's, you know, some other actors you just don't ever really get to interact with because they're just not that way or you don't spend a lot of time. It really depends on the movie. It depends on the director and the energy of it. So um, I'm curious on one hour photo, if you had a chance to, to interact with Robin Williams. I did. Yeah, he was really great. He's a huge, well, he was a huge comic book fan and really into anime. And yeah. I remember we went up to Vancouver to loop him for that movie. And we spent a day with him doing his voiceover and stuff. And uh, we talked a lot about comic books and, 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 and anime. And he, he's a, he was a really incredible person just an amazing talent and you know i mean i it was a, such a privilege to get to work with him he in, invited us to his he did a stand-up concert at la after we shot the movie and he invited a bunch of us to come backstage and then see the show it was just it, amazing window in and to see a legend you know like that build a performance he's an incredible actor he was, in, he was just a great human being it was really a privilege to work with him and i loved working with mark romantic too he's a uh, there's an underrated director if there ever was one if you if you haven't seen his movies i highly recommend you checking out not only one hour photo but he did a movie called never let me go and he did a few episodes of or i think he did he supervised and directed one episode of this show called tales from the loop which is on amazon now which is a beautiful series that he did oh, i know <laughs> yeah i just remember when one hour photo came out and it was so counter of what you would expect from a robin williams movie Sure. Yeah. No, he was making a change. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it kind of built up because he was so different in Goodwill Hunting. Sure. And he's so good in that dramatic role. And then he turns and does a one hour photo. And I just remember people freaking out thinking, oh my God, he did such a great job. And they wanted well, to see more. Yeah. I mean, well, he, you know, he was an incredible comic. Everybody knew him as Mork and all this stuff. Yeah. But he was a classically trained actor. He went to Juilliard. He was Christopher Reeve's roommate at Juilliard. Yeah. They were, they, yeah. you know, so he, you know, had the chops and, and really could do it when he needed to do it. He's, he was an incredible performer. Well, that's cool. Well, Jeffrey, thank you so much for coming on. I know oh that my God, it was so fun. Yeah. It was quick, right? Yeah. Let's do it again. I would love to. I, please. I'm like, yeah. I'm like not kidding. I could literally talk to you for hours. If you would ever give me the chance, I, I might, I would totally do another one. Let's do it. Okay, cool. So maybe we come up with a, a good subject matter because I feel like we could go over the Marvel movies, but I feel like at some point you're going to get sick of talking about Marvel movies with me. 
So <laughs> <laughs> I want to get into things. I mean, because I can literally geek out on you with editing. We're starting to get into video ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, we're complete amateurs. We don't know what the heck we're doing. And I purchased Final Pro X. Mm-hmm. Pet, and But I know that Avid is another good one. But I think that's a little bit out of my price range, especially for what we're doing. We don't, we're not doing giant movies, right? We're, we right. want to create like, web content. Yeah. We're doing like a YouTube channel and we sure. want to create some cheesy commercials. Like, like back in the eighties, there's this guy named Jack Roberts up in Washington that had this furniture store and he would always say, yeah, I won't be undersold, you know, that kind of week. <laughs> so we want to kind of mimic that kind of thing. And then we want to do, and our tagline is spoil the country and oceans of podcasts. We are Cthulhu. So we want to do this <laughs> cheesy, like morning show kind of thing. Did you ever right. watch Community? Watch what? Community. Oh the, yeah, I love Community. Yeah. yeah, the Russo show. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, yeah, and the Russo. Yeah. So they had this whole thing with Troy and Abed, the characters, where right. they would fake their morning show and they'd be Troy and Abed in the morning. And I'm right. like, oh my god, I want to do that. <laughs> so me and my buddy, cool. me and my co-host, want to do something not exactly that, but something similar, where we're doing, we have a fake interview thing set up but in the background every time we're talking i want like when we say certain words i want an image of cthulhu flashing through just <laughs> for a easy you know commercial thing and then so we're trying to figure out how to break through because we have all this i mean do we have all this amazing content like yeah, if you go cool. to spoiler verse so we have a net we started a network called spoilerverse.com and we have like 14 different podcasts that all come to us and we have staff writers are writing stuff out and we have and we don't charge anything because we don't know what the hell we're doing so we're trying to figure out how to market how to get everything out so that we can you know but we have all this amazing content it's like how do we get the word out that people are some you know we're getting good listens don't get me wrong right but i feel like we should be getting a lot more and so it's like ah that sounds cool i'd love to come back so let me know let's do it oh thank you all right And we're back. Did you know that Jeff Ward came up with the line, and I am Iron Man from uh, Endgame, the Endgame line there? Yeah. Yeah. That was that was Mr. Ford himself. And once again, Jeff, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking with us. We really appreciate that. Uh, if you ever want to come back on and talk more stuff, please, please, please reach out and do it. We'd love to have you back. And if you like that, and I know you did because you're here listening to this show, so obviously you like tons of things that are nerdy and funny wiki and movies we love movies but if you like that go to spoilerverse.com and check out all of our back issues and while you're there check out all of our other shows if you like news like breaking news go check out version of the geekdoms if you like horror horror movies go check out nerds from the crypt if you like diving deep into comic books check out funny book forensics man if you like irreverent ridiculous conversations check out why to see a radio half-assed adventures just check out all the cool stuff and while you're there check out all the articles and reviews and previews and, and stuff we have up there they're just amazing stuff for you to go read and comment on go to the store buy a t-shirt look fly as hell help out the site help out all the podcasts we're doing that to help pay all the bills when you do that as well as go to scpod.us slash discord and join our public discord come chat with all of us we're all there waiting to talk to you we have contests we're there so it's so much cool stuff so come join us let's have fun do that and let's wrap this up because i know you got stuff to do i got stuff to do jeff's got stuff to do we've all got stuff to do so in Ocean's a podcast, we are Cthulhu, and as Cthulhu compels you to do, open the mind and read more.